Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Well, welcome again. Now, I want to talk a little bit about law. And that doesn't give me, when I think about law, it doesn't give me a warm fuzzy. I don't know about you, like when you think about laws, rules, commands, uh, it kind of depends though, right? If, it's, if it benefits me, I like it. If it prohibits me or inhibits me or puts a damper on my party, I don't like it. Um, how about you? Um, same, yeah. It, I, but we don't, at the same time, we don't like anarchy. We don't like injustice. We, we like freedom and, and some laws. Uh, they, they offer order and they offer our society an opportunity to flourish. Today, we're going to revisit Paul. We're going back to Galatians uh, chapter 5, actually the same passage, chapter 5. We're going to pick up verses 1 through 15. And he says something interesting about law that's quite surprising that I want us to, to visit. Um, I've asked uh, Diane Warnke to come up here and read for us. And, and we're kind of got this new tradition of standing in honor of God's word. So you stand now if you're able. In honor of God's word, we're going to be turning to chapter 5, verses 1 through uh, 15. You want to come up here? But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immortality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealous, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions, desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Thanks, Dan. Let's pray. Dear God, help us understand your word and apply it to our lives. Help us honor you in all we do. We thank you for your spirit and the fruit of the spirit. Empower us to get glory in us for your name, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, um, Diane gave us a preview, a taste of where we're headed a little bit next week and a little bit this, it flows and connects with this week too. So we're going to be in the in these uh, chapter, chapter five. You may remember the first five chapters of Galatians, Paul, he rails against the law. He just attacks this approach that uh, is really no gospel at all. Paul had been with the church when they were born and he left to go plant churches and encourage believers across the Mediterranean. And then he gets word that other people came in and started teaching a distortion of the gospel, these false teachers. They, they said things like, you need to be circumcised to be right with God. You need to follow the law. 
And it's still not true. It wasn't true, and it's still not true. Paul counters in his letter that if that was the case, you have to follow every single law in the Old Testament. And to be right with God comes from faith, rather, not work. It was God's message, not Paul's. In fact, he goes back, you remember, to Abraham and says Abraham was justified by what? By faith, that's right, not works of the law. Only one person obeyed the law perfectly, only one, and he was right before God the Father. That person was Jesus, the Son of God. His success becomes our success by faith. When he died a sinner's death, even though he was innocent, he became our substitute. He, his death paid our debt. His, his death forgave our sins. His death purchased our adoption as sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. Consequently, we are heirs of the kingdom of heaven and filled right now with God's Holy Spirit by faith. This reality is better than, you know, this reality is better than winning the lottery. We have, in a sense, more millions than Musk, more power, power than a president, more clout than a king. Paul wants the Galatian church to understand this. He wants them to return to the gospel, the good news, the true good news of grace, so they can walk in freedom with the Spirit. And we as pastors are reading Galatians, we're thinking, this is what, what we need to get out of this too. We want to return to the gospel of grace so we can walk with freedom in the Spirit. A shorter way to say it is we want to avoid gospel drift. We want to avoid drifting. This week, and maybe you've gone to the beach recently, and I go to the beach, and I'm just convicted. I'm going to pick up garbage. and I pick up all these kinds of things. I find balloons, and I find, um, I found coins, uh, building materials. I've seen tires and lighters and fishing lures up and down, Day in and day out, every day, there's stuff along the river or the lake. It's, it, it's pretty clean, but it, it's interesting all the stuff that drifts along the lake. And Paul doesn't want the church to drift with the ebbs and flows of the culture, to drift with this false teaching. And there's two different dangers that we see here in Galatians one's towards license. And one's towards legalism. So Diane, when she's talking about the works of the flesh, and we'll talk about that next week, there's this tendency to go with what our drives and our appetites, our cravings, whatever we want, just do whatever feels good. Another is towards what we've heard in the last five chapters about law. Just do the right things, and then you're going to be right with God. There's this moralistic view where you scratch God's back, he'll scratch yours. Obey a few rules and you get into a free pass to the pearly gates. This approach leads to slavery, Paul argues, real fast. We recognize God is holy and we are sinful. And Paul contends that if we have this perspective where we have to do all these things to be right with God, we are enslaved. Instead, God gives us, for those who repent and believe, his love like a parent. And what do parents do? If you obey my rules, I love you? No, we just love our kids because we love them. God loves those who trust in him, not those who have it all put together. And if we're honest, none of us have it all put together. Gospel drift can happen 
this way and I got to do these things, got to do these things, got to do these things to be right. Or it can happen, I'm just going to live however I want. A loose lifestyle, nothing matters. That's what the Bible calls living according to the flesh. Surprisingly, in this passage, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, if you have your Bibles, there is a middle way. It's not license, it's not not legalism, it's another law that sums up all laws. It's the way of love. We see it in verse 5. Look at verse 5. This is shocking. Embedded in these 15 verses is is the benefit of the law. I've enjoyed studying this and learning about this. We, we, we need reminders like Galatians because subtly we can put our stake in our ability. Hey, I'm doing really good. I'm, I'm being good today. Or, we can, and we can become Pharisees and performers, or we can coast and drift in the other direction and do whatever feels good at the time. God is something better. So let's look at chapter 5, verse 6. He says that circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't count for anything. But what matters? What counts? What does it say? Faith. Faith working through love. And this is a surprise. He's railed against all this work. And here he's saying, here's something that works. Faith working through love. Faith matters. Genuine faith matters. And later he calls this the law of love. So Paul's not against work. Don't hear him incorrectly. He's not against work. He's not against law. Jesus' half-brother James uh, ties in, uh, picks up on this. If you have your Bibles, let's, we'll stay in Galatians, but if you want to jump to James chapter 2, he, something, he says something about faith and works that I think is important. Chapter 2, verse 14. We'll get back to Galatians. James wrote this, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. What's James getting at? Genuine faith results in action. What we believe impacts what we do. Paul was not desiring the Galatian church to become a bunch of monks and nuns or academic ideologues although they can be good in each camp, Paul was not writing to make hypocrites. Those who truly believe will bear fruit. Faith impacts actions. Actions don't earn salvation, but demonstrate what's going on in the heart. We live out our beliefs. We live out our beliefs in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in schools. And we don't do it perfectly. That's why he died Died to forgive us our sins. And he's helping us become more and more like his son. He's conforming us to the image of Jesus. We are being sanctified, the Bible says. Jesus understood this transformative work. And that when we believe, when we truly believe, it impacts how we live. 
And so he tells his followers in John chapter 13 this, a new commandment I give to you. I think Pastor Mike may have uh, read this last week, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the proof is in the pudding. The work Paul told us to do in Galatians chapter 5 is to obey Jesus' new command. So you bounce back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, and we see this come up again. Chapter 5, verse 13, For you were called the freedom brothers, only don't your, use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. There's that word flesh again. But through love, serve one another. There's a tendency in our faith to embrace truths, but then not to let them fully have its impact and root themselves in our lives. We can have all the right information, but we can still be jerks for Jesus. And that's not good. We want to embrace Christ's call here and Paul's encouragement here in chapter 5, verse 13, to serve one another through love. And I think the church does a nice job about this. Just in reflecting on our service, we have a garage sale that raises money for the youth. We had a blood drive right here. I think we had 27 people donating blood to help people um, through missions giving. You're going to hear tonight at our members meeting at 7 p.m. right here. You're going to hear what God has done through your generosity to impact the nations for his glory. And it's, it's, it's awesome. We're able to give special one-time gifts because people give over what they say they're able to give. That's exciting. Through service. You know, Bob Heiser passed away this year. Um, you, there's a sign out here. It says, Converge is open. Welcome to Converge. Um, he put that up here. He served uh, doing projects around people's homes. Some of you serve in ways you drive people around. I know some of you got here because you were driven. There's a heart of service, driving people to airports and doing things behind the scenes with encouraging notes and serving in other organizations. There's a heart of service. And Paul calls us to serve through love. And you guys do that. Uh, on, the, on the same side, uh, we can also serve with other motivations. To be recognized, to get a pat on the back, to get something. Why do we serve? Paul went on to write why in verse 14. Look at verse 14 if you have your Bibles. Verse 14 says this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Or one idea. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we want to obey God, let us be a community who loves through service. Paul is quoting here Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It's an interesting passage because it has a bunch of laws. There's 613 laws in the Old Testament. Some uh, Jewish scholars have kind of calculated all the different laws. In this passage in Leviticus, when it's talking about this set of laws, it finishes at verse 18 that was, he just quotes, is 15 more laws, about 15. And let me, let me read them for, for you. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after the harvest. That's the stuff that kind of falls and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them, why? For the poor, for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. 
Next command. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Those are really good rules. I think these are good rules. We don't want people going around resorting to violence, stealing, lying, abusing, oppressing, cheating. We don't want people to slander or hate one another or become vigilantes. Laws like this seem to make sense. So what is the motivation? When Moses wrote these from God on behalf of God, what is his motivation? Did you hear that? Was it because of reason? Because it made sense? No. Is it experientially, they kind of proved it, they worked it out? No. It ends, each set of rules ends the same way. I am the Lord. The motivation was the very nature and character of God. Sure, there are some other motivations like caring for the poor, fearing God, profaning his name, but his character is what anchors these laws. And he sums up, Moses sums up for God these commands with a positive. You don't do these, don't do these, don't do these, don't do these things, do this. Verse 18, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? I am the Lord. The motivation for obedience is God. Our obedience, friends, demonstrates our allegiance. And our actions demonstrate our affections. Jesus said this, something similar to his followers. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So if we love God, we will love our neighbor as ourselves. And I was thinking about this. Do we love ourselves? How do we love ourselves? Well, I think we wouldn't say it because it sounds pretty bad to say, yeah, I really love myself. But I tend to eat when I'm hungry and sleep when I'm tired and do what I want. I take care of myself. I think about myself. Do you? Now, do you think about yourself as much as you think about your neighbor? Do you love yourself as much as you love your neighbor? I think a lot about lunch. Do I think about my neighbor like that? I think I can improve. I don't know about you. Um, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5 to serve one another in love. And, and his initial application is this in-house. We need to love each other. 
how well do we know each other and, and relate to each other and, and serve and give? I mean, yeah, you guys do a nice job, but I, I can improve. But then it kind of goes bigger than that when you look at what he was quoting in Moses. It goes to those around us. God brings a diverse group of people. This isn't a yacht club. You know, I, we have people who have, have means and people who don't. We have men and women, young and old. So in the back, on video, in, in that couch back there, June Johnson, if you met her, she's turning 100 next month. So we have the old, and uh, sometimes you have a baby, Ash, Ashley's baby, right? Jordan's baby, how old? Seven months. We have young and old, men and women, uh, students, retirees, vacationers, and families here who've been here, and families who've got generations of people who've lived here. Um, we have extroverts and introverts. We have Democrats, independents, and Republicans, spenders and savers, thinkers and feelers. We have a diverse group of people here. Do you think we're going to see eye to eye all the time on everything? No. But we have a common law that unites us, a common call to love one another. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. We think about the ins inside uh, the church. But who are our neighbors? And Jesus was asked this question, who are our neighbors? And he tells a story that the, a man was traveling to Jericho and he falls among some robbers and they beat him up, they leave him for dead. And then a Pharisee, which is like the religious class, walks by and tries to stay away. He just ignores him. And then a, a scribe comes by a little later and does nothing. Same sort of thing. Finally, the Samaritan comes by. Samaritans, you got to understand, were the, the, the outsiders, the, the kind of, you know, messed up person. Maybe theologically, they're off. They're, they're the weirdo. Comes by and he takes care of, he stops, he takes care of this man who's laying there for dead and left for dead and takes him to an inn, says, hey, put everything on my tab. I'll take care of it. And he comes back the next day, makes sure that, you know, he's all right. He takes care of him, and he said, who's the neighbor to the people asking, who, who, who's my neighbor, who do I need to love? And they're like, well, it's the Samaritan. It, the Samaritan's the neighbor. The Samaritan's the one who's acting neighborly was the point. There's a sense that some of us want to kind of, there's part of us that wants to kind of limit the scope of who we care for sometimes. And Jesus just tries to blow open the door. No, we're supposed to care for those who, are, who God brings along our path. And it looks different for different people. That's our neighbor. Well, if our neighbor is the coworker, it's the classmate, it's not the person necessarily we just always like or we like us, it's the person that God brings along our path, how are we supposed to love them? What is love? In our culture, love can be synonymous with the word romance. It can be that chemistry, that feeling when you meet somebody, you know, or it could be like I heard the other day, oh, I love, I love tacos, you know. Uh, I love pizza, I love this sports team. I love, you know, this part of the country. I love this season. So it could be something that we like. Paul helps us understand what love is in the famous chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 4, says this, love, this is what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's, it's not irritable. 
or resentful. He doesn't rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So if that's our working definition, you can leave it up there on the, on the projection. If that's our working definition, how are we doing? Are we loving our neighbor like that? How are our words? How are our thoughts? How are our actions? I think it's easy for us to love in theory, to have that feeling of love sometimes, or love from a distance. But when it's close, it can be really hard. Am I patient and kind with those I live with? Are my words ever arrogant or rude? Do I ever insist on my own way? And when it doesn't go my way, am I ever irritable? (laughs) I mean, I am convicted as I read this. Am I resentful? Because that would not be loving. Paul in our passage connects loving to service. And, and, and there's a sense that we can get better at this. We, we, have a, we need to have a heart of love when we serve, when we talk, and when we think. This law doesn't originate with Paul. This definition doesn't originate with Paul. Jesus talks about and actually talks about a command that supersedes even this law that is the, 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 you know, the, the one law, sums it up. Here's a law that's bigger than that. And he gets it from Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. So we think, okay, how am I doing loving? I'm not doing really well. Well, here's, here's another way we are, another law or a way we are to love that just goes to another level of challenge. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Whoa. How are we to do this? How do we love God with everything in us? How do we love those we live with? How do we love that coworker? How do we love that customer? How do we love that boss? How do we love that classmate? How do we love? I think we need to understand ourselves. I think we need to understand our God. I think we need to understand his love. And Devin did a nice job kind of laying that out for us, this banquet of love, understanding God's love for us is the, is, the, is the pinnacle or the incipitous movement that allows us to, to love others. Uh, Paul wrote this to the Corinthians in his second letter. The love of Christ compels us. John the Apostle wrote this. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. We can do the work and follow the law of love because God loved us. And that begs the question, how did he love us? And I point to the cross because that's the answer. Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. John, uh, the apostle, agrees and describes it this way. In this is the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, propitiation, what does that mean? 
That means God takes that anger he has, that disobedience, and he, he put it on Jesus. He takes away our, his anger, and Jesus took the anger for us. So he doesn't look at us with anger. He looks on us with what? He looks on us with affection, with love, the love of a parent and a child. Consequently, the more we ponder, the more we consider, the more we meditate on God's love for us, the easier it is for us to love others. That begs the question, do we think about it? Do we think about it that way? Do we think about God's love for us? I think there's these truths that we know, we grew up with, we sing about, and they can become like that background on our phone or our computer. It just blends into the surface. It was neat for a moment, and then we're just on to the next thing. There is value in reflecting on his love because that starts changing how we view the world, how we operate in the world, what we say and what we think moment by moment. Let us be intentional. And I think that's part of the value of being here in person, singing these songs, praying, and thinking about these things because we need to be tethered to this truth because there's so many things that will help push us away from it or try to push us away from this truth. And so I think Romans 8 was so appropriate that I want to reread part of it and then I'm going to have us read it out together, part of it. So listen to the themes that kind of run through Galatians and through this passage that are similar. This is verses 12 through 17 of Romans 8. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are gods are of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Is that amazing? You are a child of God. If you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are an heir of his kingdom. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You are not alone. And we can go back and read more of those verses. Let's read this out loud together to remind us of this truth that God wrote for eternity. Verse 31, let's read it out loud together and I'll try to go slow. Do we have it up there yet? What? Yeah. Ready? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also not with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Paul uses the word in, I think it's verse 7, about running. We are in a race, and I love I love that idea, by the way. I love the idea of the wind in our face, the fresh air, you know, the adrenaline, the ups and downs, the, the fast, the slow, the pace. We're in a race, brothers and sisters. We're running this together. It may not feel like that all the time, but we're in the race together. And the Galatians had a problem. False teachers came in and they said, no, 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 no. You didn't get it right. You got to do this religious hoop to really be in with God. And then the flesh And we're going to see it's the flesh wants us to go this other way. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. You're free. Do whatever you want. And there's this middle way, the way of love, walking by faith, obeying God, and loving our neighbor. And he gives us all this beautiful language to think about, to ponder about his love. And I think my encouragement is for us to join him in this race. And so I came up with an acronym. It may be kind of corny. Race. All right, if you want to write this down, remember God's love. Assess your love. Call to God for love. Exert effort to love. Remember God's love. So if you've not accepted the the reality of this call of who Jesus is and the necessity of having his forgiveness, try being perfect. Try it. It doesn't work. You need forgiveness. You need peace with your maker. And Jesus came to give us that peace to pay the penalty for our sins. And he did that in love. Turn to him and believe and join us in remembering his sacrifice. Remember his love. Assess your love. I think it's really good to do like a weigh-in from, from time to time or a time trial if you're running a race. How are you doing? So you look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13, that list. How am I doing at being loving? Well, there's some areas for me to improve on. And maybe you as well. Let's not let our flesh reign. Let us not give in to our appetites and cravings and longings and short circuit the Holy Spirit's quiet direction in our lives. Let's take a good look and listen. How can I grow in love this week? How can you grow in love this week? I don't want us to be weighed down because we don't have to be. We have the Holy Spirit in us and God who will listen to us. We can call out to him as he gives us, hey, you know what? You can work on this one area. You can call out to him for help. You can pray to him. He loves to hear you pray. He wants you to talk to him. He wants to have a relationship with you. So call out to him and help you love in that way this week. And then exert. We don't want to just sit here and have all these great aspirations, but no application. Let's do something. Let's do something for Jesus. Let's do something for Jesus this week. Let's do something for Jesus today. 
Let's love another person. Let's write the note. Let's make the call. Let's do the chore. Let's say the thank you. Let's love another person for the sake of Jesus this week. Let's run this race. Let's run it together. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for reminding us that you love us. Uh, We, I, quickly forget and get caught up in myself. Help us to know you. And when we fall short, to know your forgiveness and grace and to pray to you and to exert ourselves in a way that the world will know we're Christians by our love. May they see our love in our words. May they see our love in our actions. May love characterize Converge Community Church. And you get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.